Um, we strive to fix and we don't want to optimize sleep. That is actually like the wrong notion. Mm -hmm. What you want to do is become extremely resilient. And so that's, that's the target we go after. I don't want you having to be on medication or supplementation for sleep, although I'm not against them. Um, I don't want you having to have a very special four hour routine prior to sleep so that you don't wake up feeling awful the next, like, I don't want these, all this stuff to have to happen or you feel awful the next day. What we want to be able to figure out is let's correct problems if they are there. What's up guys? Welcome to the Invictus Mindset Podcast. Today's guest is a professor of kinesiology at Cal State Fullerton. He's one of the leading experts in the world on all things strength, human performance, and hypertrophy. He's also a high-level performance coach and a consultant to numerous professional athletes. Today, I welcome Dr. Andy Galpin. Welcome to the show, man. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Uh, it's good to connect with the Invictus folks. It's been a while. Yeah, we had so much fun chatting last time, and you provide so much insight into the world that uh, I'm excited to kind of tackle some of the hopefully gently surface level things, and then maybe go a little bit below the surface on some of the things that are a little bit more popular within our realm. Love it, man. Let's do it. So last time we kind of gently discussed the concept of, of it depends. And so many people <laughs> want the blanket statement, right? Like, what are the three things that I can do to you know, get the result or the desired outcome? Will you share with, with our audience a little bit some of your thoughts around the concept of it depends and why it does depend and, and how they can conceptually understand that? You know, I get a, I, don't, I actually don't want to start this way, but I, it's honest. I get a decent amount of criticism uh, because I've been so public facing for uh, so many years because I answer so many things like it depends and I just, I don't go straight into answers and I, people think, oh, it's, you're making tangents and you're going all over the place. Like, well, you just directly answer the question. And I've, I've thought for a while, like, why do I actually approach it this way? And I think the best way to answer it is this. Um, two things. Number one, I, um, I, I don't have one type of athlete I work with. I don't have one type of, of people I teach to. So when I'm teaching in class and that's sort of carried over into to podcasts and other media, uh, I'm, I'm trying to be cognizant of the fact that I'm teaching to somebody who wants to be a physical therapist uh, for older individuals, somebody who might want to be a personal trainer, someone who might want to be an NFL strength coach, someone who might want to go work in clinical cardiac rehab. And so my brain is always trying to answer a question with the assumption that people have a lot of different perspectives in which they're going to view this answer. And so um, I'm always trying to think about it like that, right? It, would this answer be true if someone was trying to work with the general population? Would it be true if they're trying to work with high school track athletes? And so you want to provide, in my opinion, because I'm spending most of my time teaching people who are then going to go into their careers. So when mm -hmm. they leave uh, an undergraduate degree or a graduate degree, even they're still just starting in their feet and then like in that job is when you learn how to specify totally um, my job is to try to give you the concepts and actually my actual i think my job is more to try to expand your brain yeah so that you're not thinking about things only from the context of fat loss or only from the context of muscle growth or whatever the thing i, um, I love that you said reason, that just because i feel like so many people have this all or nothing thought process or approach and what I really appreciate when I listen to you teach and listen to you speak is the understanding that humans are malleable. We're not all 
categorized into one box. And, you know, it depends if you're training as a mixed martial art athlete versus a power lifter versus, you know, trying to be the best mom out there. And so to customize the approaches to the individual, their needs, understand the, the different variables associated, I think, honestly, is really respectable. And despite the criticism that you endure, it's, it's unapologetically being honest in your response rather than giving just the easy answer that most want to hear that can end up on, on the cover of Men's Health or something like that. Um, so I appreciate your context there. Is there, any, is there anything else that you'd love to add to, to that topic? Well, just the second part of it was, is, is precision, right? The, the more we advance with our analytics and our understanding of human body, it's, it's now, I think, the second phase, which is initially... It's sort of like this is, has to be figured out. You got to figure out. You got to run experiments on yourself and you know figure out what works for you. And that was important message. Well, now like we're getting close to being able to figure out those things for you. And so to be able to the, the ability to say, all right, this is a group average. This is what science can tell you. For example, science can tell you what's most likely to work for most people as a starting place. That's really all it tells you, right? But then you are you own your own individual you. And so giving an answer that is true to what's like most likely to work for most people is helpful for a lot of people. But we're at that stage now where it's like, well, why not just run the data on yourself and figure out what works? And so it's hard for me to give specific answers when I have so many situations in my head that I've actually experienced. Where I'm like, why not just go for high precision? Why not just get it figured out for you and, and you know, know what works for you instead of just guessing? Yeah. Um, so it's hard for me to give a, a blanket answer when I know that there's better ways to go about it. Yeah, I love that. Easy is not the way. Better is the way. Or seeking to, to, to give a more encompassed and fuller answer that's specific to the scenario, which is super cool. How do, how do you kind of categorize you know, the understanding of studies in, in this regard? Because we briefly mentioned a little bit of science here. And from my lenses, you know, science is like, hey, this is what we know up until this point. And then it's meant to be challenged and deconstructed and explored a little bit. And it's interesting, right? Because it's like what we know right now is subject to change tomorrow and, and, and in the future. Trident Coffee is sponsoring this episode of the Invictus Mindset Podcast. My guys over at Trident taught me something really important this last year, that we are all a bundle of stories, both good and bad and everything in between. At Trident, they're storytellers. All of their cold brews remind their customers that, that they are part of something bigger than themselves. They help create connections through symbology and storytelling that engage their customers on an emotional level, and this distinguishes them from other coffee brands. You can find Trident in Imperial Beach and in Coronado. They offer over 14 plus nitro cold brews along with dairy-free options. You can find the perfect brew and pair it with one of their treats from their keto bakery. All these options will allow you to support your health and fitness journey with Trident Coffee. They're more than just a coffee company. You can check them out over at tridentcoffee.com and use code INVICTUS20 for 20% off online and in tap rooms. Once again, that's tridentcoffee.com. Use code INVICTUS20 for 20% off online and in tap rooms. Take your coffee experience to the next level. Two important factors 
for us over at Invictus Mindset are true care and attention to detail. My friends over at RX Markier have been bringing innovative fitness tools to the market since 2009. From their award-winning Evo speed ropes to their amazing gymnastics grips to their line of inflatable fitness equipment, they're constantly looking to problem solve within the fitness industry. They're always allowing us to have our gear work for us rather than against us. Hop on over to RX Mark Gear and use discount code Invictus Mindset to shop their latest cutting edge gear. Have your gear work with you and not against you. And so, you know, what advice would you give to people that are, you know, reading different articles or pursuing understanding science, but, you know, not taking into consideration that it is subject to change? There's a lot to be said about this topic. I love science. I love epistemology. And I love the details of statistics of interpretation and effect size and physiological relevance versus mm-hmm. mechanism and things like that. So it is convoluted. I think as a quick answer, what I'd say to folks is always keep in mind a touch of humility when interpreting research and definitiveness. So there are a number of topics I could explain to you hypertrophy being the easy example where we thought we had definitive answers that were just beyond reproach. Mm -hmm. The growth in muscle size. Sure. Yeah. Like we we know how to do it. Um, You know, the answer is closed here. Stop asking questions. You're being annoying. And then it turns out, Oh shit, we were wrong. Yeah. Um, Without just like heading down a road of fraudulent data and conflicts of interest. Like I'm not even talking about that. That's, that's, it, that is so far down. It's just the fact that there's limitations to technology. And there are limitations to scientific methods and, and approach and understanding uh, precision being one of them. We learn more about statistics for interpreting things like performance science. So without, again, being super detailed and unnecessary, the vast majority of the way that we analyze data scientifically um, comes from a model, a statistical model, that's not relevant to human performance, actually. And like, this is just something that's happening in the last few years where we're just like, man, all how we analyze to tell whether or not something worked or not, you know, to be able to come back to you and say, yes, it worked, or yes, this was better than this. Mm -hmm. That entire statistical approach, uh, I think it should just be thrown out basically. And most people are starting to agree that. And so now it's just like, we haven't even analyzed the data correctly. Yeah. And that's where Um, I think there's a ton of confusion because there's so many different types of study. And people read and see, oh, according to this study, and it's like, well, was it a double-blind placebo? Was it a meta-analysis? Was it correlational? You know, what are, what are some of the others? Like, I feel like there's so many different types of studies, but when that's thrown into an article, immediately, typically, the consumer, the, the general consumer, then gives it credibility and just belief and buy-in. Yeah, I mean, there's no perfect study. Science is flawed. Uh, I mean, one way to think about this is, Anytime you're performing uh, research like in this context, a big thing to think about is internal versus external validity. So external validity means it's like how valid is this going to be to the external world? Internal is how much control do you have, basically. And these are only a trade-off. You cannot maximize both. So the more controlled I make it in the lab, the more likely I am to know whether or not the thing I'm manipulating uh, different types of nutrition, a different training study, amount of hours, whatever. 
how do I know that specific thing is the only thing that caused the difference? Well, then I have to have more control. However, the more control you give on it, the less real life it is mm. and less applicable to the world. And so you may say a situation where you're like, well, okay, um, you know, pomegranate juice, enhanced recovery. Okay, well, did you control for training history? Okay, yeah, we got to control for that. Did you control for sex? Okay, we got to control for that. Did you control for what phase the menstrual cycle we're in? Okay, got to control for that. And then you just like start adding these controls. And so, you know, okay, great. In this extremely specific scenario, in this extremely specific situation, it may have improved recovery in this very small number of recovery metrics. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Well, then what about if I use it in anyone besides that group? Well, we don't know because we controlled for so many things. The, the opposite approach in science is to control for almost nothing and say, well, we want to see if this is broadly applicable. So we just brought in 100 people, half got pomegranate juice, half didn't. Okay, well, then almost surely you're not going to find any difference because now some of your people were really highly trained, some of them are overweight, some of them are old, some man went. Well, it's going to wash all the effects out because the effect of, say, poor sleep outshot the effect of the pomegranate juice in recovery anyways, and then because you didn't control for sleep, you just happen to have so many shitty sleepers in this side of the equate. You get it. Yeah. No, um, I think so that's there's no, honestly there's no way to optimize here. That's like the best description that I've heard in in digesting, you know, the term study and helping people understand. So I I really appreciate that explanation. I also want to pick your brain a little bit just on the the concept of statistics because what do they say there's lies, damn lies and then statistics. What would you say kind of on that subject matter to kind of give people some tools? when they're interpreting data or seeing things on a social media post? This is very, very complicated. Yeah, um, yeah. You, you can certainly make your data say basically whatever you'd like. I mean, I'm being a bit nihilistic there, but it's not far off. Yeah. Um, there, there's just a lot of ways to, to just get. So what, what I can say is this um, – Rather than trying to learn how to interpret statistics, that's just not a realistic thing. Uh, it's it's hard for most PhDs, like let alone non-folks. What I can say is this: if a study comes out and it doesn't pass the smell test, if it doesn't make teleological sense, if it doesn't make a lot of uh, evolutionary sense, and if it's going against all of your spidey sense, I have a I have a series of videos on my YouTube called the. Uh, bulletproof bullshit detectors. Oh, that's awesome. What is what and is you your YouTube through, for people to search? Uh, I think it's just my name, Andy Gal. Okay, very cool. Uh, there's like an hour video if you want to dive like super hard into it, and then there's like a I think there's a five minute version. You you provide so, I, I so much walk- content, and I appreciate it. And I also I also owe you an apology. I told you I keep it relatively simple, and I'm throwing you into the realm of of statistics after six to eight days of in-depth recording with Dr. Andrew Huberman, which you, you just finished up. How was that? And, you know, what, what are your uh, reflections after connecting with such, such an awesome dude? I mean, I've known Andrew for many years. I've known him before he ever had social media. Yeah. So <clears throat> we've collaborated on grants and projects and some NASA stuff and some other things before. Um, and then we just, to, not to sound pretentious, but we're just in the same circle of friends. Yeah. Um, so with like, it's just like hanging out with my friend I've known for a long time. Yeah, so that's... it's not that big a deal. Uh, you're just doing it on a mic, and 
That's rad. Oh, it, it is I, I crave so. to be a fly on the wall observing just that interaction. One of my favorite things about him is very similar to you. He finds simple actionables that people can take with them to triage the potential benefits with regards to their life. And I think the number one uh, actionable that he's given recently that I really appreciate and talk about often is if you're having trouble sleeping first thing in the morning after you use the restroom and do your business or whatever, get outside into natural sunlight. And I, I think that's a really cool one that I've seen a lot of personal benefits. What are your thoughts on, on that suggestion that he's made a few times? Yeah, it's never a bad idea. I mean, absolutely ever. It just depends on, actually, I think Andrew's a good example of, um, he's hitting a different approach than I am. So he likes to give things like that, that are just like almost anyone can do that are generally helpful. Yeah. And that's true. Um, what I do is generally high precision stuff. So, um, what, well, I have a company and a conflict of interest here. Just so you're aware, it's my company, mm-hmm. um, called absolute rest. And so what we do, this is by far the world's most advanced sleep uh, system and product. So we come into people's houses into your bedroom and we run a full clinical grade sleep study in your room, in your bed. That's cool. And because of that, we now know exactly how you're sleeping. So there's no guessing from a wearable. There's no guessing from an inaccurate you know, diagnostic or survey. This is the you know, highest grade FDA approval in your actual house. This is, in fact, the technology is significantly better than what you would find in most actual sleep clinics. Mm-hmm. Um, so because of that, we know exactly how you're sleeping, your staging, your timing, all that stuff. From there then, we're able to analyze four things, which is basically how are you sleeping? The PSG will tell us that. Now we don't know, want to know why you're sleeping that way. And the reason I'm saying that is it may not be a sunlight issue, although it's a very, very, very good general yeah, recommendation. Yeah. Um, we analyze a handful of things. So we're taking full biomarkers, saliva and such. We're looking at everything from micronutrient deficiencies is potentially why you're not creating enough serotonin or melatonin. We're looking at serotonin, melatonin concentrations, DHEA, cortisol, like any of these things that are relating to, you know, is it a physiological or biochemical a nutrition program. So we see this a lot in folks who are like, well, I eat well. You're like, well, yeah, you might be eating well, quote, unquote, but it may not be perfect for your body. Mm-hmm. Um, we see this a number of times with like SHBG and insulin getting out of whack from people not eating enough carbohydrates at the right time. And so there's like, there's a whole bunch of very specific things. Basically what we do is extremely high precision data collection so that we can give hyper simple, but ultra effective recommendations, yeah. right? Because we know exactly, and we don't have to just give you like, a hundred examples of lists of general things. So uh, it's either physiological, it's environmental. So we're running a full environmental scan in your bedroom at night. So this is scanning your room for hydration or for humidity, temperature, sunlight, all those things, but even more so carbon dioxide uh, that will build up in your room as you ex- exhale and ventilate throughout the night. So we actually know specifically what thresholds, if they cross that, they'll kick you out of certain sleep stages. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I've never heard that before. That's cool. No, no, I'm telling you, this is like, this is the, by far the world's best. This is not like a $200 or, you know, wearable thing. Yeah. Like, it sounds very expensive. This is, this is coming in of like, you need to guarantee that your sleep gets like fixed. This is, and the reality is this is what was built in part for making sure the astronauts don't die when we get to Mars. Yeah. And some other things. I really appreciate um, so you that sharing is this. eye tracking. This is rad. Yeah, like it's eye tracking stuff to make sure we can actually diagnose depending on how your eyes move in these really specific ways. 
uh, previous brain injuries, TBI stuff, caffeine use, alcohol, um, a lot of THC related sleep problems kicking in. So there's lots of things we can diagnose as well as, uh, uh, any psychological stuff. So we have a Harvard MD in psychiatry of sleep, uh, that runs a full battery of testing for sleep related, uh, diagnosis. So all those data come back and then it sits with our team, um, of PhDs and MDs and such, um, in sleep, um, and a bunch of other technologists that build stuff. And then that all comes back then with a very specific, simple plan. Uh, and we have an extraordinarily high, I mean, well, you can guess the number, our success rate, but it's, a, it's as high as you can get. That's fantastic. Um, is the, so, yeah, is like, the compliance based on the suggestion so high? Because I'm assuming it's very expensive and also takes a lot of time, energy, and uh, initial buy-in to go through this process. No, not really. Um, the The success rate is so high. Um, like cost-wise, it's not nearly as expensive as you think. It's not like a couple hundred dollars. But like you can imagine a team of scientists coming into your room to sort of do this. It's not outrageous when you think about the expense lost with poor sleep. Yeah. Um, so very, very, very rarely do people have apprehension when they hear the cost because they think, oh, my God, how much money am I losing? With bad sleep, how awful do I feel every single day that affects every aspect of my life? Yep. And I've been dealing with this for so many months or years. Like, I don't really care um, about. You know, I love that you touched not, on that. You're not paying the price of like a new car or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, for it's sure. That Something that stands out to me, though, that's that's so interesting is when you look at our, our healthcare model, for example, you know, there, there's health insurance and that allows you to go to a primary care physician. You might say to them, I'm having a hard time sleeping. What do you suggest? And they might go through, you know, a few totally. sleep hygiene things that are relatively general. They might, you know, send you to a specialist and potentially do a sleep apnea test, very generic kind of things. And the barrier to entry to most in-depth analysis like this is cost because there isn't typically a health insurance model. But in reality, I love the way you described it around like the debt that comes not just totally. personally, but also just the, the, the brain fog, the pain, the irritability, the decrease in optimization for total life function that comes from a lack of sleep. That's not necessarily considered. It's always quantified on a numerical cost value as opposed to depreciation of quality of life. So I, I think you hit the nail on the head in your description there. What, what are your thoughts on the way I kind of tried to summarize that? Yeah, I mean, not, not to sound like we're pitching the thing, but uh, every time th this is the problem like people come up with is they have virtually no problem writing the check because they're just like, oh, that's, that's not that much money relative to like all these things. In addition, relative to how much money they've already probably spent on the problem. Yeah. Or how much time, how many, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, I've gone to three physicians, I've gone to five things, I've yeah. tried this, and like you've spent so much time, whether it's or resources, whether it's time or money, and then it's like, do you want to just get this fixed and stop having messing around here? Yeah, also Great. the side like, effects that, potentially that come with, all right, I can't sleep, so I'm popping a ton of melatonin, ton of THC, CBD, whatever, and then in the morning, it's like, man, I'm incredibly groggy, I'm going to smash some caffeine and stimulants. And now you're on this roller coaster ride with your circadian rhythm. Your nervous system gets out of whack. You're constantly in a Sorry. state of fight or flight, you know, very, very much so struggling to downregulate and to rest and digest. 
So I mean, yep. it, it's and cool to hear that this. we see t- we see testosterone crashing. So then people are going on TRT, which I'm not against, but I'm against anything done poorly. And the vast majority of the time is done very poorly. Yeah, and they end up in this in this health death cycle. Yeah, not literally death, but like that, where you're just like you're chasing your tail. Um, and so we're we're definitely trying to come back and say like, is this a, can we just fix this thing uh, rather than medicate? So the other thing about it is. Um, we strive to fix and we don't want to optimize sleep. That is actually like the wrong notion. Mm-hmm. What you want to do is become extremely resilient. And so that's, that's the target we go after. I don't want you having to be on medication or supplementation for sleep, although I'm not against them. Um, I don't want you having to have a very special f- four hour routine prior to sleep so that you don't wake up feeling awful the next, like, I don't want these, all this stuff to have to happen or you feel awful the next day. What we want to be able to figure out is, Let's correct problems if they are there so that, these, that we don't, are not providing routine solutions. That's so let's correct problems and let's get, make it so you feel resilient. Um, think about it like this. Uh, you know, you ever put your like five-year-old to bed? Five, like nothing wakes a five-year-old up. You can grab it by its ankles, drag it across the room and still asleep, right? They're incredibly resilient yeah. there. So that's what we want rather than being like, oh my God, your, your decibels need to be below 35, and they need to be more than 18 inches away from your head. Like all these metrics is like, great. Like, or let's make it so that you can sleep and well in almost any situation. And we correct problems rather than covering up symptoms. So that's the target of absolute rest. Yeah. I love that concept around correct problems rather than cover up symptoms. That's a, that's a very important one to highlight for our audience today. Another thing that's incredibly important, I believe, is this relationship between Preventative medicine and reactive medicine. You kind of mentioned, hey, I'm not against certain sleep aids or potential pharmaceuticals, but I don't want us to have to be reliant on them. How do you digest and communicate the relationship where I believe all of us like knowing that reactive medicine is there? It does serve a purpose and it is incredibly important. But right now in our world, it weighs more. And I think that you could even out the ratio a little bit and create a healthy conversation around the importance of both. Will you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, I fully agree. Uh, I, I don't demonize. I use medicine without hesitation. I will, for any of the appropriate reasons, I use that, whether it's uh, my parents and they actually need to be on a blood pressure medication or, or they aren't, but you know, theoretically, if I, I wouldn't hesitate to... Uh, I mean, my mom is on actually, um, she's on metformin and semaglutide right now. It's like, great. Like for her, for all the reasons, they're fantastic choices. Um, if I could ever, if I actually thought I, I could put her in a position where she didn't need those things, then those would be my options first. Yeah. That's just not a realistic thing for her. Trust me. It's been 30 years. Like <laughs> there's, it's, She's not going to change. Okay, great. So at least those things can buy her more help. Um, so there, there's... I have no hesitation with them. Having said that, I mentioned absolute rest. My coaching program, whether it's for you know the athletes I've worked with or work with now, or whether it's for all the executives and the non-athletes we work with and that whole program we have at Rapid Health, the entire target is always the same. It is trying to correct physiology and then get out of its way. The goal is to not have you on these things if we can. So uh, in that company, we don't deal with any disease. We, we nothing like that. If you're sick, we can't help you. In my opinion, that's exactly where healthcare comes in, right? If you are not sick though, and you want to optimize or go as close to higher up that thing you can, 
That's when we step in. And I think there should be companies like us because we're very good at it. But we also don't do anything with medicine because we don't have any idea what we're doing. Yeah. Like that's not our area. We shouldn't be involved in that. But just like those folks shouldn't be involved in, in what we do. So, um, in fact, I think for all the interactions I have with medical schools and companies in this area, uh, physicians, I don't think most people actually in terms of medical system, they don't want to be doing what we're doing. It's just too much knowledge to know. There's too many things. Right? It's just way too hard. So as much as it's like we get kind of mad at them without doing this stuff, they don't want to do the job. They're trying to recognize like, hey, the that we're learning just in disease is going up exponentially. We can't keep wrap on what's going on in our primary area. Like why, we certainly don't have the time to worry about optimizing nutrition and sleep and things like that prevention. Yeah. Um, Can so I, I bookmark you there real quickly? Something that I, I'm curious about is the same way we talked about how the term study creates reputability in the general consumer of information. I do believe that titles within names create reputability that, oh, this, this said person went to you know this school, gained this education, and should be delivered this level of respect. But we don't know the care. We don't know the, the context. So generally, it depends. Um, what are your thoughts on the reputability associated with, with titles within this you know, controversial realm of, of healthcare? Yeah. I mean, it's, it goes, it cuts two ways, right? Like, I mean, let's, let's be real. If, uh, you were sick and it was a life threatening event and you could work with a doctor that came out of Harvard or you worked as a doctor that came out of the university of Rochester, Buffalo, I just made that up. You would pick the Harvard one and you should probably on average, right? If you don't know anything about them. Um, and there's a reason. And, and those, those things are true on average and the individual person it's irrelevant, but on average, it is generally a good thing. And for a reason, that being said, um, you pay attention to institution name number one, but the program matters more. So for example, in our like exercise science world, um, if you had an exercise scientist that came out of Harvard, I would laugh. Like you don't know anything. <laughs> the program does nothing. Stanford, you, you well, Stanford has a human performance wing now. But okay, great. Um, but if you say like you came, you got your human performance degree uh, from Springfield or Rhode Island, and I'm like, oh, damn, those are historically good programs. You're like, what? Yeah. I mean, they have done some great things. But you know that. Cal State Fullerton. The, the, the general yeah, consumer, sure. I feel like, doesn't know that. Yeah. Well, you're not going to. It would be the same for me if I left, if you walk out of human performance and you go into uh, therapy. Yeah. Psychology. I'd be like, I don't know. Yeah. Chicago, Illinois, or your band, like, oh, that's good school. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, St. Mary's. Oh, really? I might made that up, right? But like, you, you bring up a good no point, idea. though. It's fun to have the to play ping pong on on topics like this. Andy, how did you how did you find your way into human performance and working with high level athletes and and teaching at a at a graduate level about all these topics? Like, what fascinated you and narrowed your focus to this department? in your uh, in your development and, and evolution I, I played every sport growing up I, I, in high school and uh every kid i knew played every sport that's cool that's just sort of how it was um i went on from there and i played college football and the short answer here is i was good enough to where getting better mattered when i did things better training wise 
etc. I, I noticed a difference, but I wasn't. Um, so I was so I was good enough where incentives mattered, but I wasn't so good that that they that they didn't. Mm-hmm. So I was sort of just like obsessed um, and coming back to the culture where I grew up from, like losing was fine. There's always better people, more talented, but not preparing, not working hard. Like that's just embarrassing, you know, not to not outwork everyone else. So I was sort of just like, well, I want to learn how to be the best I possibly can. And if I can make some sort of career working with athletes, that'd be great. I did not want to be a sport coach. I didn't want to be a football coach or anything like that. I did not want to be an athletic trainer. No offense to either of those sports. This wasn't for me. Um, I started off as a pure strength conditioning coach. Like that was actually there and realized I hated that as well. And so it's sort of just like, how the hell am I going to work with athletes when I'm not a coach and not a trainer and I'm not a strength conditioning coach. And so it was just like, well, I don't know, but I just want to keep learning about the human body. And um, if I'm, I'm poor, I don't know anything different from being poor. So staying in school longer and staying being poor I didn't care. <laughs> if I can stay in school and people think I'm doing something worth my, you know, with my life, and I, my lifestyle's not going to change anyway. Rich so in knowledge—that's for damn sure. Eventually, a little bit, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, few people regret you know, having a PhD. So I was just sort of like, I don't really know what I want to do. I don't see any avenues here. Um, you know. I think it was cool to see how you, you carved stuff. your own path, though. And, you know, acquired so much knowledge and the ability to communicate. I mean, you're on so many different podcasts. You put out so many Instagram lives. And I really, really appreciate what you have out there. Where I'd love to move our conversation next is just some of the popular topics that I feel like come up within strength and conditioning, health and fitness. And one of the big ones that I see so often is people thinking that soreness is an indicator of a good workout. Will you touch on that a little bit? Sure. It's not the worst indicator ever. It's just not a direct correlation. So you should not think more sore means more results. Yeah. Right. Now, it is fair to think if you're trying to grow your quad and you're doing a bunch of quad training and it's never gets sore, yeah, like it might be an indication you're not training hard enough or you're not actually selecting the right exercise that's targeting it appropriately. If it's like zero out of zero. Yeah. Cause you, I mean, you definitely like, need that stress for the adaptation for sure. hundred uh, percent. It's just not like I'm, I'm pretty sore, you know, four out of 10. Therefore, if I'm sore seven out of 10, that means I'm going to grow more muscle. So those things are, are, and the, the evidence I think is pretty clear at this point. Um, it's, it's not going to result in more growth. So you need to stress the stim, you know, stress the system for sure. But you don't need to. Uh, what, what do we say? Stimulate, don't annihilate. Oh, that's cool. I haven't heard that before. I like yeah. that one for sure. When you're looking at people trying to increase strength, you know, there's definitely weight classes. There's the world of CrossFit where you don't necessarily want to be this monster because then you're going to struggle on some of the cardiovascular and gymnastics modalities. This episode is brought to you by Mush. My friends over at Mush created an incredibly cool product of ready-to-eat overnight oats. And for those of you that listen to the podcast often, you know simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. And Mush has done just that, as their products have no more than seven clean ingredients that are dairy-free, gluten-free, with no added sugar. Mush started right here at Invictus, as they had a vision to create convenient, healthy, and clean nutrition. And this landed them on Shark Tank, where the famous Mark Cuban 
invested in them. Now they're found in retailers all over the country, including Costco, Sprouts, Target, and Whole Foods. Check out my friends over at www.eatmush.com. What are your thoughts on, on how to increase strength without drastically increasing body or muscle size? Yeah, I mean, just manage calories is your, is your easiest way. And then manage uh, staying at a lower volume and a higher intensity. That's going to keep you out of those things or the opposite, right? So go the other end, which is like now really past lifting and, and going to the high, high repetition, very high repetition, lower cardiovascular intensity things. Uh, is this that middle ground? Middle ground combined with high protein and high carbohydrate, high calorie total it is going to stimulate growth. So yeah, I mean, calories are the biggest way to manage it. Mm-hmm. For sure. You're mentioning a little bit of nutrition, and I know you, you like to discuss this with um, who's the gentleman that you do a lot of the IG lives with? He, he's a nutrition expert. Oh, probably Dan Garner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've listened to you and him oh discuss God, a lot. Dan, Dan is a wizard, uh, especially when it comes to things like blood chemistry. Okay. And running whole blood and now blood he, he'll do and he's nuts uh he takes blood urine stool saliva everything and then creates extremely high precision um, micronutrient based programs so not just like here are your macros but very specific food choices for micronutrient need for your physiology and, and a whole bunch of this stuff so he's yeah he's a wizard so i like to work with him whenever i can um yeah just to make sure like things are specific to your body not just how much you weigh your, your workouts or whatever. So it's like, now we're taking a ton of blood and everything else out of your body and uh, creating programs based on that. Yeah, it's fun listening to you guys converse and, and hit the ping pong ball of knowledge back and forth. I feel like n nutrition has so much conflicting knowledge. Uh, right now you've got, you know, the, the carnivore diet, you've got ketogenic style things, you've got, you know, macros, you've got old school paleo from back in the day. If you were to kind of give a little bit of a blanket statement of advice for where people could start their nutrition journey, um, probably being blood work and, and a stool sample would be my guess. But what are your thoughts as to uh, some tools that you can give people so they could start exploring themselves and, and entertain the conversation for enhancing their nutrition? I wouldn't start with the stool sample. No? Okay. Um, no, that, that's unless you really have somebody that knows what they're doing like a Dan Garner. Yeah. Don't waste your money. You're not going to get anything out of it. Um, blood is fantastic. Again, if you have somebody that knows what they're doing, um, then they can analyze it. They got to really, and what I say, know what they're doing. There's a difference between earlier in our conversation, we talked health prevention and high versus certified performance. Um, so having like an MD look at it uh, and they're going to tell you your risk of cardiovascular disease or type two diabetes. Like, well, that's important if those things are where you're at. If you're a crossfitter and you're 27 and you're, you know, 15%, but like you, okay, I guess get those things checked, but that's not what I'm talking about here. What we're talking about is looking at metrics that we know are highly associated with high performance. And so we have done probably, I don't know, close to 2000 professional athletes at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, and we run extremely extensive blood work on them. So, I mean, as arrogantly as I can say this, like I have a very good idea of a number of things that are not, that you will not find in the literature. Actually, a lot of it is, but um, a lot of it is not. And then because we're not looking at it from the perspective of what's your death risk 25 years from now, we're looking at, um, you know, trying to figure out why you're cramping. 
okay, great. Like we can figure those things out. We can try to, we can figure out migraines. Um, uh, I mean, and by that, I don't mean like, well, not always, but um, autoimmune stuff that's going on recoverability. Um, we have an entire metric that we use called your resilience score that we can get from a whole bunch of blood work. Um, people have probably seen or are familiar with like biological age. We actually have a much better version of that for high performance. Um, so there's just a lot you can get from blood chemistry. Blood chemistry is like, you're talking tens of thousands of studies and the vast majority of people have never, ever, ever read any of them. Yeah. And there is a lot there that you can get from hydration issues, um, sleep related issues, brain function, cognitive function, neurotrend. Like there's a ton you can get there. So if you have somebody that really knows what they're doing there, you can use it as a tool. If not, um, you can use, I guess, like an inside tracker um, format. Is that like the blood um, glucose monitor? No, Inside Tracker is uh, it's it's full blood chemistry, so you can go order it for fairly cheap, okay. all things considered. And then they'll actually analyze your data for you and give you very specific recommendations based on your um, blood work. It's not like for high performance stuff, but if you're just like I'm 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 not happy with my physician, um, I don't want to go the, or I don't have insurance and I want to get some actual insights off there, um, you could try that. I don't have I know those people. They, we've been our stuff, but I don't have a deal with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think, it, I think it's great so. just to kind of get a umbrella view of some of the thoughts within the nutrition realm. What are your thoughts on the yeah, glucose I think, I think Dan actually has a, I think Dan actually has like a discount code oh, okay. or something. You have to check. I'll see if we can Dan put that in the show notes for people. Uh, what are your thoughts yeah. on the blood glucose monitors that we're seeing people kind of have on their on their arm? And um, I haven't worn one personally, but I've I've been gently told that a lot of people that have explored just monitoring and observing when they get the insulin spike and the crashes, they're able to regulate that by simply eating protein first. Um, what What are your thoughts? I've used CGMs a lot. I have one sitting right there. Um, and I'll just say it this way. At this moment, I do not use them as a standard model for any of our folks. Got it. Um, for a lot of reasons, they can be useful. Um, I just don't think they are anywhere in the stratosphere of as useful as some people think they are. Gotcha. I think the promises that come attached to those things are um, not totally true. That's yeah. the way I'll put it. So the second part of your question is there. Um, it is quite clear if you co-ingest protein or fiber that that will blunt the glycemic response, which is how quickly a food item elevates your blood glucose level. Now, that's not always good. Yeah, I was just about to say that. Not always good, right? Now, again, remember my context, man. I, I don't I do not work with obesity prevention and, and things like that. Um, so it, it always depends on what you're looking at. Sometimes I want to spike it. Sometimes we don't. But, yeah, you can – if you're just worried about that for – you th- because you think that's associated with long-term stuff. Um, and it is at some level for sure. Clear data on that. Um, but not sort of – you know, people sort of think that they're like, oh my gosh, I ate this um, piece of whole wheat toast and my blood glucose spiked to 110. Like, oh my God, I'm going to die early now. It's like, stop, <laughs> like stop. <laughs> that number is nowhere near important. 120, 130. That's not important. This is not a relevant number. Yeah. Uh, it looks like a big, scary spike on your chart, but that's what it's supposed to be doing. That's the whole point. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, just if, if you really are concerned, just eat any of those foods with protein and or fiber and it'll ameliorate the, the rise. Pretty yeah. quickly. What are your thoughts on a little bit of marketing manipulation within the world of, of health and fitness? 
Um, I'm sure you saw it most recently, the all the controversial stuff that's floating all over the internet around Liver King. And, uh, you know, he made some cer- certain claims around his liver-based diet, uh, very, very meat-centric diet, and, um, you know, basically lied around taking performance-enhancing drugs, which later was, was shared. But more importantly, you know, in an attempt to deliver honesty and integrity, which, which you do consistently, uh, at least with the information that you have up until that point, what are your thoughts on, on some of the challenges within marketing manipulation where people are pushing supplements for performance or aesthetics uh, for whatever said outcome, but not necessarily providing total context? Uh, I'm Obviously, I'm very much against it. I, I don't know the story you're referring to. Um, somebody lied about PDs. Shocking. Yeah. Like, talking. Uh, I don't know what. You think um, there's? I think there's two ways you want to think about this. One number one is you. Is, I don't think it's good for people to get a message that the only way you can have a nice physique is through PEDs. That's not true. That's that's super super untrue. Um, and so because I don't want I don't like it when people see somebody who's had success and go oh like for sure she's just cheating. Like well that's just a quick way to like tell yourself it's okay that you suck. Yeah. You know like I don't mean it like that but you know what I mean like. Don't, 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 it's, it's a vow. It's a mental out. Like, no, just assume that person just stayed more diligent and trained harder and yeah, and had good genetics. All three of those things are true. They took their recovery more seriously and they, they slept better and they did, they didn't go to those parties so they can go home and sleep and they did all the things you didn't want to do probably. And then, yeah, they had way better genetics and then yeah, some of them cheat, but like also many of them don't. So uh, I, don't, I don't think it's useful um, to like run or walk, walk around looking at everybody in the gym, sizing them up and being like better than me must've cheated. Yeah. No, I, well, I like your approach like on that. Assuming that. positive intent, that's always uh, a more peaceful yeah. approach. Or if they didn't, if they cheated, who cares? Like the, my the, the thing that I've always said about this particular topic, always, I am not against medicine. I am not against hormone use. Do whatever you want. I don't care at all. The only time I care is when you sign on the dotted line that says you didn't do this. I'm not going to do this, and then you put somebody else's career or health at risk. Then, then like. I'm, I'm against it as you could ever get. So in our context, it's like, don't fight somebody when you took a bunch of stuff and you said you didn't do it. Don't, don't, don't run a race against somebody and you just took their money and you took it from their, like, this is, don't do those things. Right. Same with marketing. I, I don't really care. I love Mark Bell. I, I love Mark and Chris Bell and they're super open. I don't care. Great. So all their stuff, nobody cares, right? Nobody cares at all. Um, I mean, other people I work with, and other folks I know that don't like, you know, obviously Joe has the biggest platform out there. And he's just like, yeah, I take this, this, and this. I think it's like sometimes justifies poor practices nutritionally because it's like, well, yeah, that works if you're on a bunch of TRT. Mm-hmm. And like in those cases, way more than TRT, but fine. Um, but yeah, like I think if you're trying to take, you're going to hurt somebody, you're going to beat them in a competition when you lied and said you weren't going to, or you're using it to convince them of, uh, nutritional approach um yeah man like obviously i don't know anyone who supports that yeah totally idea for the most part so just i mean at this point who cares yeah i think it's an honest approach and i i really appreciate you diving into it a little bit you could have very easily avoided the topic but i i appreciate the honesty since we're on the subject of kind of testing one of the major ones that we see within our space is is the dexa scan 
What are your thoughts on the DEXA, the, the validity, uh, the appropriate usage of data, and how frequently people can, uh, can use that as an indicator you know, for, for their journey? DEXA is fantastic, super accurate. It's about the highest uh, accuracy you're going to find for body composition. It's really the only way you can go about getting bone mineral density done. Um, is it perfect for body composition? No. There are all kinds of limitations to it. Um, but that, that's a, it's as close as we're going to get, especially for most people to use. So I have no issue with it. It's going to get you close. If you're trying to differentiate between 6% and 7.2%, maybe it's, but who cares at that point? Like that's just not really that important for most people. Um, so absolutely fine. Um, probably it depends on what you're trying to do, but you know, like every six months, like maybe once a year, depending on the person, um, if you're like a non, you know, fitness junkie person or something, like once a year is absolutely fine. But a lot of those folks don't even need that because you can literally step on a scale and do a, a, a circumference measure of your waist and hip or something and probably still get the information you need. So um, I don't do it once a year. My, my body composition is generally very, very stable. And when it's not, it's because of direct manipulation, right? Direct manipulation as in uh, trying to improve or direct manipulation as in I'm actively being terrible and not training and not dialing in and I'm going up. So it's like, I don't need to, I know what the solution is here and I know what the answer is. So um, uh, having said that, I'm going to do one here pretty soon because we're actually going to be doing some stuff, um, some experimentation. But uh, yeah, um, outside of that, like if you're a fit CrossFitter, you probably don't need it once a year. Um, maybe just looking at it once. If you are female, I would strongly encourage getting it done at least once to check for bone mineral density. Even if you train, it's very, if you've never had it done, it's very, very, very important to pay attention to, especially if you're over 40, which I don't assume there's probably that many people listening who are over 40 females, but probably some, Yeah, you know? So um, I would get it done once and then look at it. And then, you know, like once a year would be totally sufficient, maybe even every other year. Yeah. Since you touched right there kind of on the, the different sexes, what is it about women being able to recover a little bit better than men and handle a little bit more volume? Yeah, well, there's a handful of things we do and mostly things we don't know. Um, oftentimes, women have more slow twitch fibers than men. So oftentimes women have, uh, in fact, well, I mean, data from our lab shows that doesn't actually, that's not true when you equate for training. Uh, but in general, you'll see that. So because of that, they didn't have more mitochondria. We certainly know women have a stronger immune system. No question. And that's, you know, you don't know why, but that's probably because they know they're going to have such an immune drop during pregnancy. Um, they absolutely get smashed their own immune system. So they sort of have to start higher. So when they come down that they aren't too low, that's kind of a crude way to think about what's happening there. But an immune system is, is far stronger. Uh, and immune system is, look, there's a three-step three process to recovery, right? It's inflammation, proliferation, um, and then clean up after that, like rebuilding. So if you're stronger in the immune response, you're going to rebuild a whole lot faster. And by rebuild, I mean you know, tissue. Um, you're going to get the inflammatory process over with faster. You're going to have uh, higher, faster white blood cell function, everything from there to the actual refueling of muscle glycogen and hydration and all that stuff. So that entire three-step process is just better. Yeah, no, I appreciate the insight. Where I'd like to the other part is they don't have the, have the absolute load as well. Yeah. So like, if you're both squatting eighty percent, not always, but most of the time, on average, men are bigger than women. 
and therefore on average men typically are stronger than women um, not a particularly inflammatory statement there um, so you're just going to have more load on you and at some point relative matters but at some point when you get big enough absolute loads matter yeah no that's great context where i'd like to conclude our conversation today andy is Around the concept of breathing, we're both good friends with the crew over at XPT. I've had Gabby, Laird, PJ, that whole crew on, and and talking about breathing has become a very, very useful topic in our world, especially with so much chaos going on and anxiety regulation. Will you touch a little bit on what anxiety does to breathing? Sure. Uh, disclosing conflict of interest. I've been a part of XPT since before day one, before PJ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm um, a scientific advisor there. I say I'm very, I'm also on the board of the Health and Human Performance Foundation, which is exclusively a nonprofit dedicated to breath-related work for anxiety nice. and other things like that. So uh, important to let you know of those before we go much further. Yeah, I appreciate it. Look, um, this is many, many hours of conversation we could have here. It's real. Uh, it's helpful. Whether you want to talk about it as a diagnostic tool, like the CO2 tolerance test, uh, whether you want to talk about it as like a training modality. So intentional breath manipulation has you know, thousands, thousands of studies on it. Whether you want to talk about the ability to actually notice uh, elevations in CO, sorry, like when do you, when you want to talk about um, out of the blue panic attacks? You can actually notice them physiologically up to 45 minutes prior to them actually happening by changes in CO2. Now, all the way to uh, a company, another company I'm involved with called SolveX. So this is actually an app that's on your phone that came out of a, a, a group of scientists out of Harvard, actually, that we keep bringing up Harvard. But um, we can actually identify major psychological distress in people um, while it's happening by just their activity on their phone. And I don't even mean what they're searching for. Just they just keep it in their phone. And we can do that. So we actually got um, a large, large grant from the DoD to deploy this in a bunch of military folks um, in Alaska. So we're actually running that study right now. But uh, this is something we're extremely excited about: is being able to identify um, real cycle. The, the, the primary intervention there basically is suicide prevention. So being able to just have something on your phone that you don't do anything with, and then you'll get an alert. Your other folks get sent an alert of like, "Hey, you know, check in on Bryce right now." Mm-hmm. Um, just make sure things are going on, whatever. So um, just starting that study, we'll see if it bears out. But that's another thing we're, we're super excited about. On the back end of it is a training protocol as well to try to actually work. This is a really cool – so CO2 is – I know I'm all over the place here, but this is such a big topic yeah. um, to answer in a minute. CO2 is crazy because it's one of the things that is responsible for the physiological, psychological connection. And so I, I was actually sort of um, – I know uh, uh, Andrew just did his thing and he called it, I think, called the brain-body contract. Yeah. So this relationship. Well, actually, CO2 is one of the major things that influences that contract back and forth. And so if you can either manipulate CO2 physically, then you can use that to work psychologically or the inverse. If you're working psychologically, you can use that to improve physical performance. And so this is why that molecule is so powerful and why we have spent so much time in so many areas trying to get a grasp on understanding your relationship with CO2 being sensitive to it, um, but not being extraordinarily sensitive uh, because there are life, mental health, focus, attention, getting better, back to getting to sleep better, uh, staying asleep more effectively, all the way to actually running a faster 
one mile, recovering for performance, fighting better in a five round fight. Um, so physically and psychologically, there's a lot, a lot that you can get from there. Yeah. I've, I've seen so many great things recently coming out where just the education around, you know, our crave to breathe is not necessarily wanting more oxygen, but a necessity to expel CO2. That's something I've seen floating around on your socials a little bit. Um, I've spoken with a few other people that have referenced the oxygen advantage and, you know, seeing so much mouth breathing these days and getting the breath really high and tight up in the chest and scalenes and then striving to suggest for people that typically live in that very sympathetic state, trying to get their breath low and slow and the integration of more nasal breathing. Would you say those are relatively good tips for people to generally regulate some of their physiology in relation to their breath while managing some of the stressful components of their life? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the more you can extend exhale time during periods of stress, the less stressed you're going to feel. And going through the nose is a fantastic way to do that uh, for as many things as you can. Training, um, working, sleeping, etc. The more you can use your nose to breathe and less your mouth, the uh, generally the better off you're going to be. Totally. Andy, thanks for, for spending some time with me and doing a little bit of a deep dive on general topics that float around the fitness world and honestly providing true context and honesty in, in a world that's, you know, playing with a lot of marketing manipulation and you just giving, you know, the, the, the truth up until that point as you know it. So, so thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. And I really appreciate the way that you said that at the end. This is based on the information I have right now, as we know it, and that will change, uh, but that's all we can do. Absolutely. You just came off uh, a little connection with Dr. Andrew Huberman. Um, where can we, we find some of the cool things that you're working on and some of the, the greatness of that conversation that I, once again, wish I was a fly on the wall for? Sure. Uh, you know, my, Twitter and Instagram are the best places to keep up with everything we're doing. Um, absolute rest com. If you're interested in that sleep stuff, you can also check out rapidhealthreport.com. And that's, uh, that's where our whole program um, goes. If, if you want to get some of that high precision blood, urine, stool, saliva, run these full comprehensive sort of programs and then get, get uh, you know, systems and coaching behind all that. You can find all that there. And then uh, YouTube, if you want a whole bunch of free information and education on nutrition and performance and training and physiology and all kinds of cool stuff like that. It's all available there. There you have it, guys. Amazing science, some tools for your toolbox for your fitness journey. If you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Andy Galpin today, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with your friends. And as always, stay on the hunt for who you've not yet become. Thanks so much, Andy. We'll talk soon. Are you over 35 and in need of a solid training program? Are you looking to improve your athleticism and keep up with the younger athletes in your CrossFit gym? Then look no further than our Invictus Masters program. This program places year-round emphasis on mobility and stability exercises with movements that we have seen directly benefit our Masters athletes. Our program is led by Nicole DeHart and offers a training program designed specifically for Masters athletes who are looking to compete at a higher level in the sport of CrossFit. Some of our top Masters athletes in the world train with us, including CrossFit Games champion Kevin Kester, Matt Beals, and Pat Sprague. You can learn more about their stories and the Invictus Masters program by checking out their episodes right here on the Invictus Mindset Podcast. 
If you'd like more information about the current training cycle or to join the Invictus Masters Program, please email Nicole at InvictusAthlete.com. That's N-I-C-H-O-L-E at InvictusAthlete.com.